0: The scripture for today's sermon comes from Genesis 3:19 through 24. The word of God speaks to us. By the sweat of your face you shall not e- by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skin and clothed them.
1: Well, good morning, church. My name is Chad, and I am honored, humbled, and excited to sit in this text with you today. We are... Uh, clearly talking about fall and curse. We've been in Genesis for a while now, and I just would encourage you, if you haven't been with us for these, to go back and listen to these sermons, it, because they build on each other. They build on each other. We're not just deciding one day, hey, let's talk about uh, this account. They they are actually part of the whole. This this reality of exile now that we're talking about as we've been in the garden and here sin has entered and now God is sending them out east of Eden out of this. We're talking about this life of exile because of sin. And what that really plays out like is separation, right? And so that's kind of how we're gonna walk through this today. A separation between God and man. A separation between brother and brother that we'll see literally through brothers. Well, we've been in in, in the the first few chapters, but we're going to go through three chapters today. The end of three, where we see God separating uh, man out of the garden. Uh, Chapter four, a brother against brother. And then chapter five is this genealogy where we see uh, a separation of peoples uh, against peoples. Literally generations of peoples that are are coming out and because of the curse of sin are now living these separate lives out of this. And so I want to pray and I want you to, to join me in that right now. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your word that doesn't just speak curse, it speaks blessing. It doesn't leave us to figure everything out on ourselves. It actually is your loving kindness showing up in every bit of this to lead us right to you. And so help us today, God. Help us to, to not just go through the motions. Help us to, to turn ourselves by your grace right back to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. I mean, so let me start right here this morning. Let me start just with this idea that might feel like a tangent, but I I hope it illustrates for you like just how separation plays into it. Jesus has these words that always confused me. It it always confused me, especially as I first started going to church, as I first started reading the Bible. And and whether you've read the Bible or you've gone to church or this is your first time here, you've probably heard these words if you've ever been to a wedding because often they get said you hear this uh, pastor say, almost as a tag at the end, he's like, what God has brought together, let no man uh, separate out of this. And here's where that comes from. It comes from Mark chapter 10, where Jesus is talking about divorce. He says these words, but from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one flesh. Verse 9, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Now, what we we know is that the Bible goes on to explain marriage in this picture of marriage. You get to Ephesians and God says, like the Bible, the word of God tells us like, man, husband and wife is not just two people having a great life together. It's not just two people who somehow liked each other. It's a picture of something so much more. Paul even says right there, he says it's a mystery. It's a mystery, but it's God in his love for his people, the church. God in his bride, the church, all these types of things. Don't let anything separate that. Now, we pull this out, and I bring this up because the Bible isn't just saying, hey, marriage is a good thing, or marriage is this or that. It goes right back here to the beginning of all of it. In in many ways, the big story that you see from the very first pages to the very last page, that big story is one of wholeness. It's wholeness that has been spoiled by sin It's been spoiled by a separation of God that came through sin. and, And then it ends by God's redeeming love. And I say redeeming intentionally because it isn't just like, oh, he just wiped that away. No, he took what was spoiled and broken and he brought beauty from. That's the big story, like in in a real quick way, that's what we get. And so we pick up our study in Genesis chapter three, it's Adam and Eve literally being sent out of the garden, sent out of the garden. And I want you to keep two things in mind as we walk through chapters three, chapter four, and chapter five. I want you to keep two things in mind. There is a corrosive nature to sin. It isn't just that it makes it unclean. It is corrosive. It rots out. It destroys far more than just one act. It it, is corrosive, not just to the person who's sinned, but to all that it comes in contact with around it. It is corrosive nature of sin. But the second thing that we see here in the text is the restorative, detail-specific, detail-specific loving kindness of God. We don't have to wait until the New Testament for that. We're not waiting for some far off chapter for that. We're not waiting until, some, until Jesus enters the story for that. Like it's right here in these pages at the beginning of Genesis all of those things. The corrosive nature of sin and the the redemptive detail but detail specific loving kindness of God right here with us, and so I want to dive in with the very first aspect. I said it before we prayed: the devastating separation between God and man. See, we, sin has entered the story. This is what we've been walking through the past couple of weeks. Sin has entered the story, and it wasn't just one bad decision. Now, sometimes we shorthand that and we say like, oh, well, they took the, they took the fruit from the tree and we shorthanded it into one bad decision, but it wasn't it. It doesn't stay there because sin is what corrosive and it brings death to everything it touches and 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 i'm just going to be confessional right here too often i lose sight of that too often i forget that in the moment to moment because i have sin i will sin and in my sin i don't always see the immediate corrosive effects of that i don't i don't actually experience the judgment from it right then now what i do experience often not all the time but often is shame and guilt but the corrosiveness and the judgment from it is not something that's always readily available. So we, we forget that. And, and too often, I and maybe you sometimes are just like, we just go about our business. And, and maybe we even get to the point where we're like, it's not that big of a deal. And what we see is that that's not true. What we see here and in every page to come is that sin is corrosive. Abed and Eve went after what they were never meant to experience. And then it wasn't just like, oh, man, we, we ate food we weren't supposed to have. No, they hid. They lied. They tried to, they, they suddenly were walking and experienced something that they'd never experienced before, shame. They, they're experiencing shame. They're blaming. And in these ways, like in these ways, I think all of us can relate. All of us can relate because sin doesn't just live in a vacuum, right? It it leads to other sin. And we see that. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21 says, And the Lord God, as a result of all this, and the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins, and he clothed them. Verse 22 Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now, lest the reach of lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, because of the sin, because of this sin having come into this world, the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Now catch this. This is so exact and it is particular and it helps us to see what actually happens. There is a direct result of sin in that the whole that he had been living, the wholeness that Adam and Eve had been in is now separated from them. In all the ways that they had experienced perfection. And the word that we've been using, it, which is a biblical word, is shalom wholeness, peace, and far more than just those words that go to it. The wholeness that God has offered literally in their presence with them in the cool of the day, they're now separated from. Physically separated, geographically separated, relationally separated separated, spiritually separated in ways that are not even unfolded yet, in ways that, that we'll see in the pages to come, uh, spelled out for us in, in which spiritually there is a new way for them to interact and deal with God. But even right here, we get our first glimpses. We get this glimpse right here of the restorative, detailed, perfect loving kindness of God in that he covers them. It says he covers them. Like, don't reduce it. So, sometimes it becomes a comical thing for us. Don't reduce it to, a, to like some A, B test between like, are leaves better for this climate than fur? It, don't reduce it to like a fashion choice or something like that because it, it is something far more, there's more going on here than just some, some just like clothing-related uh, discussion. You see, because they could never, they could, there's an inability to cover their shame. It's not about the specific figs or the leaves around that or, or the, the, the fur type in this. It's that they could not, they, they had no ability to cover their shame. They didn't even know what to do with it because it was all new. And on their own, On their own, they could never remove their sin. It was impossible. But what was impossible for them is entirely possible for God. He could and he did cover both of those things. And we see that right here. Track with me here. There, there is no lapse. There is no lapse between the fall. There's no lapse between the fall and the hope that God promises. There's no lapse right here. In fact, when God is speaking curse, he even sneaks in blessing. He even sneaks in blessing. And right here, as they experience the first death of the Bible, we actually have a picture, a shadow of the substance that will come later. We have this right here, and we have a picture of hope right here in this moment. Eve and Adam are immediately given hope and are given another statement by God to believe. It's the promise for something in the future. And let's just be honest, like, let's, their heads must have been spinning with questions and fears, but they had enough, even right here in this moment, to believe God. Now, again, let's, let's set ourselves in the story for a second. Do you, think, do you think for a second that they ever forgot God covering them with this animal skin? Do you think there was like a moment that they could have like, oh, no, like, whatever, that wasn't a big deal. No, like they, they saw this animal dying for their sin, and it, now the covering is placed on them. This placed on It was their moment when they're sitting around the fire, and they're, they're smoothing out the skin, and they're just their fingers are going over it, in which they remember how they got there. They remember how, how this came about. And yet so many, so many of us miss this. So many so many of us miss that there are consequences to their sin. There are real consequences in it. There are, are real things. It, there will be difficulties that come from it. There's a separation between God and man which comes from it. And yet there is a promise right here. And this is what you and I need to hear in this specific text. You need to hear maybe that God is not done with you even if you've messed it up. And maybe like like me, there's often a gap between what I believe, which is like, oh no, I know I screwed up right there. I know I screwed up right there. And then I feel and then I, I have this moment where I, I don't want to like just turn back to God. I don't wanna run in repentance and I don't want to stand right before this God. And why? Because it is shame that creeps up in my heart. It is shame that creeps up in my mind. And, and I create a gap, but God himself actually goes to us and he goes right to these spots. And he's like, man, I, I can cover all of that. And maybe you feel the gap is too big for God to overcome. And maybe you need to hear the promise this morning that where you find yourself, east of Eden and in the wilderness that you, you're like, how did I even get here? Maybe you need to hear what Eve heard, which this is not the end of the story. This isn't the end of the story. Adam and Eve did not know everything. They didn't know everything that would happen in the years to come. They couldn't possibly have like articulated all that would come over the course of time that God was going to work this out. But they had enough to believe. They had the promises of God right before them. They had enough to believe and follow after God. And so we pick up the story in chapter 4, which is years later. So we just go uh, just a couple of lines down, but this is years later because we're now told that they have children. They have these two boys and, and we we don't know everything. Sometimes like we, we just get to this and we're like, wait, wait a second. How did this pick up? How did this happen? And so read with me in, in verse two. Now, Abel, one of the boys, was a keeper of sheep. Before we dive into this too far, I want you to just recognize we're, we're in this spot where we're pitting two brothers against each other. And God's not doing the pitting of this. It's sin that is doing this. It's sin that leads to separation, brother between brother. And this builds on each other, right? Because it, it's not just God and man that now have separation. We're, we're now going to experience brother and brother, and I say that we have a picture of actual physical brothers, but this goes out to like uh, metaphorically brother against brother. This goes far beyond all of those things. We have it. And so sometimes when we just read four in isolation, we're like, hey, what gives? Why is God so bent out of shape with Cain? Why is he, why is he like uh, got a thing right here where he's just all upset? if we just take it in isolation, it's easy to get there. We're not told anything uh, about their home life growing up. Uh, we're, we're not really given too much of how this comes about, but we are given clues. And there are things as we read the text that we should pull out of it. These two sons I mean, surely had an explanation of what happened to their parents surely they had some explanation of what happened to their parents and how they ended up here. And we know that they, they knew of God's existence. We know that much. I mean, you, you can read that in the text. They knew of God's existence because they come to make an offering to the Lord. They actually come to make an offering. So somebody, somebody taught them that. I mean, we, we know this, that Adam and Eve must've taught them, like, here's, here's how you do this and in some way it had been explained to them what kind of offering to bring. What kind of offering is to bring? From the rest of the Bible, we recognize that God repeatedly has told parents to teach the truth about himself to their children. That's from the beginning to the end. We get this. Tell your children about this. And so Adam and Eve... Adam and Eve, who for years experienced the curse of their sin, uh, now living outside of God's garden, who, whose hands, every time they grabbed that fur, every time uh, they wrapped it around them, every moment of just like mindlessly kind of going through that, where you catch yourself, going through it, I mean, surely... spoke of this with their kids and so back to the question back to the question like what why did God like have a problem with Cain and what Cain brought well let's let's start with Abel let's start with Abel because uh, we're told that God accepted Abel's offering why why because Abel came to God through a sacrifice Abel came to God. So what was the problem with Cain's? It says Cain worked the ground. Cain comes to God with all of the best works of his hands that he could put together. All the best things that he could put together. And let's just be real. Like it was probably awesome. It was probably awesome in this, but it was still what he could manifest. It was still what he could work up. It was still all of his best efforts, what the Bible calls and what we would would name your works. Look how good I can do, God. And in a sense, Cain is coming to God saying, like, accept me for what I can bring to this. And Abel who doesn't know everything, he doesn't have all the answers, he couldn't explain all of it, knows enough that there has to be a covering. There has to be a sacrifice in this. And he comes right here with that. And then we get this confusing, uh, we get this confusing section that comes up after it. Here here it is with me in, in verses six and seven. The Lord said to Cain, Remember, Cain's face fell. He was upset about everything. The Lord said to Cain, "Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, if you do well, will you not be accepted?" And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. Now, let me start with what's confusing in this. Let me start with what's confusing. What the, the part that trips us up is when it's like, hey, if you do well, if you do well, that sounds like works, right? If you just do well and you get all your stuff together, if you get your act together and you clean yourself up and you sit up straight and you get rid of all visible sin and you do this, then you're going to be accepted, right? That is not what is happening here they they don't know much but they know that to come to god is through a sacrifice and so the only way of doing well is to come through the sacrifice just like abel Is come through that if you come through that sacrifice everything is covered everything is covered we read that sometimes when we're like, oh, I've got to clean myself up. I've got to do that. Here's what we miss in the text is that it's already told us that his, his offering was not accepted. But what we miss and what I so often rush past is that it is God coming to Cain. Why are you down? Everything is here for you. It's all right there for you to be accepted why are you down? And, and catch this, pay attention to this. As you read the Bible, as you sit here today, when God comes to us with questions, he, he's not looking for information. It's God pursuing Cain to lead him to repentance. To lead him to the sacrifice. It's God pursuing it. It's this restorative God who sees the sin, who sees what's going on here. And it's God's loving kindness pursuing after Cain right here in it, except sin is corrosive and it leads to separation between God and man and even brother against brother. And see how that plays out right here in verse eight. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and he killed him. But it doesn't stop there, right? Because it's corrosive. It's corrosive. It's going and infecting everything. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? Again, another question. God's not looking for information here. Another question. Where's where's Abel, your brother? He said, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Separation of God and man. Brother and brother. I love how one pastor puts it, he says it this way in his book, uh, The History of the World in a Nutshell. Here's how, here's how Pastor Keller says it sin is not simply an action, it's a force, it's a power. And when you do sin, it's not now over. It's not now over. But it actually becomes a presence in your life. It takes shape, a shadow shape, and stays with you and begins to affect you. Man, I would humbly submit, if you you don't instantly recognize that in your own life, you're not paying close enough attention. I say that humbly. I say that as one who feels the weight of that in my own life. And if we could have stood there with those two brothers who are experiencing this separation lived out on display for us right there, a separation between God and man and a separation between brother and brother, what we would have seen are representatively two altars, two altars that, that sum up so much of the rest of the history of man in which you can come through the sacrifice or you can come through your own works. You can call it whatever you want to. You can call it good works. You could call it morality. You can call it like trying to have the scales balance out. You could call it covering your bases. You can call it religion. You can call it all sorts of things, but it's either you're coming through the sacrifice or you're trying to come and clean up your shame and your guilt through your own works. Those is the only two paths, always and forever. These two men did not have all the answers, right? They didn't, they, they didn't have all of it, but they had enough. They had enough to know that sin affects everything. And there's one way that God has said that we deal with this. They had enough to believe and to follow after God. But sin doesn't just grow in the heart of these two brothers. It, it keeps spreading and spreading and spreading, and that leads us right to chapter 5. So if we go from uh, sin separates God from man, and what we see in chapter four, sin actually separates to brother to brother, brother against brother. We see that so clearly played out, but we have that in our own lives as well, friends. Even, even an only child can stand here and say that. What we see playing out in chapter five and why this is so important for us is that it doesn't just stop there. It leads peoples against people. And this becomes so important for us because chapter five is a snapshot of all these lives generationally that connects Adam to Noah. And hear what it says at the very end of chapter five. Verse 28, it says, when Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son, verse 29, and called his name Noah. Noah saying, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. Like we get this text that comes out. And I know I skipped a lot of names right in there. There's, there's some things that happen here that are super important for us. It links us, Adam, to Noah, but it, it tells us who these things are. And thematically through chapter five, it says this phrase over and over, and he died and he died, and this person died. And what we get to when we get to 28 and 29 is it says they recognize that and he died and everything that is happening generationally and the separation of peoples is coming out of the curse, out of the ground that the Lord has cursed. But even in chapter five, all is not lost. All is not there because what we get are names like Enoch, it tells us of Enoch, and it says, it says something about Enoch that is really important. It comes back later in Hebrews. It comes up again uh, right there, and it says Enoch walked with God. Enoch walked with God. So, what does that mean? Does it mean that Enoch, man, Enoch really knew how to stand up straight at church and to sing all the right songs and to get rid of all visible sins and to really just stand there in that spot. No, it means that Enoch knew that his hope was found forever and always through the sacrifice. (laughs) He walked with God. I don't think for a second it means that Enoch was sinless. I don't think for a second it means that he had his act together. Enoch was a man. Enoch was a man who fell short of the glory of God. And yet he knew where his hope was found in all of this. You see, all these years later, the people of chapter five knew that they were living in the corrosive effects of sin and curse. And you and I live in these same separations. We we don't have to go far to find group pitted against group. Nationality pitted against nationality. Family pitted pitted against family. Brother against brother. I mean, each of us could probably come up with a long list of these things. But we also carry in us a separation of God and man. We carry this in our bones. We carry this as people who are living east of Eden. We carry this in all the same ways. It plays out differently, but we carry this. And so where have you seen these separations at play in your life? Are you able to see the way sin has is or will affect your relationships? Like, let me give you an example. Like, a fear of getting close to other people, a fear of letting other people in, a, a refusal to be around someone who wounded you. And let me be real clear on this there are relationships that need to be created, distancing. There are relationships and there are places in which it is truly not safe to be around. And if that's you, if you're in that, whether it's with a spouse or with something else, which is, which is physically or emotionally damaging to it, please don't carry that by yourself. Please don't carry that by yourself. But those are the exception and not the rule. And far too many of us have our feelings hurt and then we pull back from other people which there's probably reality to that, right? There's probably spots in which like, I'm not saying who was right or who was wrong. I'm saying to stay separated from one another is part of the curse, is part of the fall. It's part of living east of Eden. Separated one from another. But maybe you feel not just separated from other people or family, but from God. Maybe you feel that. Maybe you have placed your faith in, maybe you placed your faith in Jesus and life has happened in so many ways and decisions have happened and you find yourself so far out there and you're asking yourself in in ways that maybe you couldn't even name. You're saying, how did I even get here? How did I get to this point? And you're feeling those gaps and you're feeling that separation. And I want you to to recognize what we've said from the beginning of this. Sin is corrosive and it will take you places further and faster than you ever thought you would get there. But even in these pages from three to five, I said two to three right there. But from three to five in these chapters, we see the restorative, detailed, perfect, loving kindness of God on display. And that was true for them, and it is true for you. Because it wasn't just like, hey, that's the end of the story, right? We started there. It's God saying, this is not the end of the story. It's not the end of your story. And as we uh, move ahead, we see Jesus literally going to the cross and he has these words that we need to be careful with, these words where he says in, in Matthew 27, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it's Jesus willingly stepping in to the separation for your sin and for my sin. In which he becomes, what does John called? What does the Bible refer to him? The Lamb of God who takes away our sin. The covering over all of it, the covering for it. Ephesians starts to unpack this for us. It says it this way. It says in chapter two, it says, remember, remember this, that you were at that time separated from Christ." alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in this world. That's what our sin has done to us. Separated from God, separated from man, separated from other people in our lives, separated because of the curse of sin. But that's not the end of the story. Verse 13, but now in Christ, In Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. It's God closing the gap. It's God covering. It's God pursuing, sending his son to cover your shame to wipe away your sin and to bring you right back into relationship with himself. Will you bow your heads with me? Father, would you work on our hearts in, in ways that I never could? Your word says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was the type of the one. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many.